just come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to look at what you would have us to see. We thank you for this book and the descriptions that it has in it. And we ask you to just guide and lead everything that we look at today. In your son's name, amen. Daniel chapter 10, starting at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus the, of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of, of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four, 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is in Hidel Kel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body was also like the, like the peril, and his face was, was the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like the color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the, the voice of a multitude." And we're going to stop there for just a little. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, and the men that were with me saw it not the vision, but a great quaking fell on them, and they fled to hide themselves. So we're going to stop there for just a moment because we're last time we were we were in the first year of Darius. Now we're in the third year of Cyrus. So we go bouncing around from this point in in Daniel. We go bouncing around the kings depending on what vision he's talking about. So we just want to keep in mind. Since we left the lion's den, we have been not necessarily in order of anything. We're just, he's given these visions that, he, that God showed him. So right now we're in the third year of Cyrus, of the king of Persia. And it says that he saw a thing, uh, and, and the thing was true. He saw a vision, or he, actually the word thing here is the word for word in Hebrew. So it's literally, he's heard a word. And it calls it a thing here in this place for some reason. Okay, now, so this third year of Cyrus is before or after the first year of Darius? Darius is the king that conquered Babylon, right. and Cyrus took over. So in this case, we are three years advanced. Uh, it, well, whatever. I don't remember how long Darius ruled. So we're, we're three years into Cyrus's reign from the last one we talked about. And that was in the first year of Darius. So... We're, we're several years down, down the road. And, and at this point, the, the timing is not really important on this. It's the visions that Daniel's talking about. But he heard something, and this one's more of a hearing that he's had, and it says, but the time appointed was long, and he's talking about it's into the future, the, this vision that he's going to have. And it doesn't, you know, the funny thing about this chapter is it really doesn't talk about the vision. It talks about the, the deliverer of the vision. Uh, so we're going to be looking into this. And he said he understood the thing and the thing, and he understood the vision. So he's getting understanding. And this understanding is going to come from the angel that he, that he describes. And so, and it says in those days, I, Daniel, was in mourning for three full weeks. And in this particular case, we're talking about three literal weeks. Okay, last week we were talking about a week of years, but this time we're talking about a week of days. How do we know that? Because we go into, into chapter, uh, verse 13, and it's going to tell us that, he was, that he'd been praying for 20 days. <laughs> okay, so we know this is days. We're not talking about a week of weeks or a week of months or in this. We are, by context and, and, 
and where we're at, we're actually talking days in this, in this particular week. And it says, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh or wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel is in a fast. And what they, because of the description, they usually will call this a, if you've ever heard people talk about a Daniel fast, uh, what, what it, they're using is this particular verse and saying he ate water and vegetables because he didn't exclude vegetables in this, in this uh, particular fast. Okay, so sometimes people, they'll tell you, especially somebody who's diabetic or something, they say, we'll do a Daniel fast rather than a, than a complete fast. You know, don't just give up all the sweets and the, and the meat and all, all, the, all the specialty things and just eat your, eat your vegetables, keep your strength up. And so, and this is, this is something, when people talk about fasting, the most important thing about a fast is you've given something up that's important to you. And usually it is food because food is very important to most people. So a fast on food is a very much dedicated to God. God, I'm giving up eating for a period of time while I present my de uh, desires to you. I think Daniel was expecting this to be a long fast, so he wasn't totally weakening his body up. Uh, so he eliminated all the delicacies of the king's table. Yeah. You're right, this is where he was at. And fasting, and I've heard people talk about fasting for, for us in our generation might be as simple as fasting television and not watching any television or something. And for some people, that would be quite a sacrifice. So again, the point of this is a, sacrifice, a, a fast may not just have to be dealing with food, but getting rid of whatever it is that you are really liking that, spent, that you would normally spend your time on and turn that time into prayer for God. And like I say, for, for most of us Americans especially, that you know, fasting TV might be a very, you know, you might find yourself with, with days available in, <laughs> of prayer time because of getting rid of your eight or nine hours of television. And so, but we just wanted to bring this out. If you ever hear the word Daniel fast, this is what they're referring to, take, you know, taking, and you gotta think, he is a royal advisor to Cyrus, so this is a big deal for him. He's basically saying, I'm not going to the king's table. I'm not eating the, the delicacies at the king's table. And if you've ever seen any pictures of a king's table, you can picture what that means. All the nice meats and, and cakes and, and all that great stuff that he's saying, I gave this up for a period of time. And it specifically tells us three weeks. And it says that he didn't anoint himself. So in this case, he's really not leaving his room. He's, he's not doing things to make himself even look presentable. Verse 3. Chapter 10, verse 3. Um, now this is opposite of what, what Jesus told, told his disciples. When you fast, anoint yourself and don't look pitiful. Because the scribes and Pharisees love to go around looking totally pitiful that I haven't eaten in so long. Look how bad I am. I'm fasting. And God is, and Jesus told his disciples, make sure that people don't know that you're fasting. You're not, you're not to go out advertising. You know, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm fasting. And I don't think Daniel was trying to do this and this, but he's just making a point that he was not, he was not doing anything that made himself you know, the, the royal position that he had. And he probably stayed in his room for these three weeks pretty much uh, just saying, I'm going to, I, I got to get this answer. 
And I don't know if you've ever been there where you've had something so much on your heart that you just have to get the answer so you're willing to say, God, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to give up eating for a period of time. I'm going to give up whatever it is that would normally take my time up, and I'm just going to be on my face praying to you, God, until you answer. And this is where Daniel's at. And we don't know what, it doesn't, never tells us what this vision, what it is that he was asking for understanding for. Because we've jumped from, from uh, Darius to, to Cyrus, and even in here it never tells us in this section of verses, doesn't tell us what it is he got explained. That would be the right timing. And that, you know, maybe the reports back not good. That is quite possible that he's in the, in the Ezra and Nehemiah point, uh, Nehemiah specifically. Uh, the reports are coming back. The timing's right for this. They've gone back, and he's hearing the reports of how bad things are in Jerusalem. This could be very much what he's been praying about. Okay, God, you sent us back, but Jerusalem, Jerusalem's a wreck. There's no temple. Maybe he's hearing reports just like Ezra and Nehemiah did that there, the temple wasn't being rebuilt and, and people were forgetting God and not, and not, you know, all of this, of course, is speculation. We don't know, but the timing fits. He's in the third year of Cyrus. Cyrus released them, released them to go back in his first or second year. I'd have to double check. So this is a little while. So it is quite possible that this is his... This is his prayer. You know, God, you know, you, they're back. Why aren't, you know, why aren't they dedicated to getting the, the temple built? Because that's what their first one was, to go back and build the temple, not the city. And they did not get right to building the temple. So it is quite possible that this is what this whole fasting is. Because if you remember, Nehemiah did the same thing when he's hearing about Jerusalem being in a, in a wreck. He goes into a fast as well as he as as well as the cupbearer of the king can go into a fast and because he has to taste pre-taste the king's food so but that was his attitude you know, you know I can't you know and I I'm just so sad you know Jerusalem is still in a in a disaster yes we've got the temple built but nobody's worshiping there nobody's living in Jerusalem because it's not worth going to and this could be what Daniel's looking at because remember he's still he's still praying every day during the times of the the evening oblation, which we looked at last in, in, in the last chapter. He's, every time when they would normally be going to the temple, he is in prayer saying, I can't be at the temple, but I'm going to pray, even though there's no temple, but I'm going to pray. So he has been worshiping God as good as he can without the sacrificial system, without the, all of this. And so this could very much, and, I, and that is a good point. He may be just hearing the reports. The temple, nobody started to build the temple. Not enough, not enough people went back in the first place, and that could be distressing him. Like, what's wrong with these people? If I, you know, if I wasn't 80-something 80, 80 years old, I'd be the first one to, to be going back and building this temple. What's wrong with all these, all these people not wanting to go back, not wanting to build the temple? So there could be very much that attitude, and this could be what's distressing him. Because we're not told what's distressing him. We're just told that he finally gets an answer, and we want to look at this answer that he gets because this answer tells us a lot about spiritual warfare and that's what we learn in this chapter is a lot about spiritual warfare and, and what goes on in the in the spiritual side of things so it's a good chapter for this and so so he, uh, verse 3 he's fasting for three weeks and he says on the 24th day of the first month he was by the side of the great river Hidekel. 
and this is a river in Babylon, just outside of Babylon, and he's wandering around, he's outside, and it says, he lifts up his eyes and looks, behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. We don't really know where Uphaz is, but it seems to be every reference to Uphaz is that it's very fine, very good gold. Uh, the only thing I've been able to do when I think that many people think that the mines of, in Uphaz were, in, in, were up above India. Uh, and so, but it is a very fine gold. Every time you see that name, it is, it's in reference to an extremely fine, pure gold. So this is, he's saying it's very precious on who he's seeing. And it, clothed in linen, whose loins were girded around with fine gold. His body was like the burl, and his face was the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as a lamp of fire, and his arms and feet like the color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, if you think about this description, you might be thinking about Revelation 1, the picture of Jesus. This is not Jesus. Okay, I will say that categorically, this is not Jesus. And we'll tell you why as we get further in here. Okay, uh, and, but it is not Jesus, even though the description in many, like my Bible parallels it to Revelation because the description is very much sounding of Jesus in Revelation 1. And I think it's just the way they see the, the celestial in, individuals with their shine, the shine and everything for the, and the glory of God reflecting off of them. And we'll get, you know, when I get to the way, why I know it's not Jesus, you'll understand. <laughs> Uh, but I just want to say, because many of these Bibles, any, many study Bibles, even mine, kind of parallel back to Jesus and say this description was given in Revelation, and it is a very similar description in Revelation of, of Jesus. And, uh, but it does show that he's the lightning, the brightness. And when you think about this, when they talk about angelic uh, appearances that aren't made to look like humans, there is this shining that is talked about. And this is literally what he's talking about. You know, bra polished brass would, would be shiny. Uh, the lightning, the face that's shining, who stood in the glory of God. And you think about this, if you think back to Moses, when he went up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and came back down, the people didn't want to look at him because his face shone because he reflected the glory of God. And he had to put the veil on because people didn't want to look at him. And so... When you're in the presence of God, truly in the presence of God, you're going to have this shining light that comes through. And this is why I believe this is an angel and very clearly is an angel. All right. And it says, Daniel, and verse 7 says, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. And the men that were with me saw not the vision, but the great quaking fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. Now, this one kind of gives us the opinion, the, the, the appearance of, uh, Saul of Tarsus riding on his horse he saw the glory of God in, in the Lord and in his case he did see Jesus and his people did not see it they heard the voice in his case then here they didn't they're not hearing anything but they also didn't see this and and Paul when or Saul of Tarsus and who became Paul on his horse saw God and it says the people did not see those that were with him did not see the vision wasn't for them it says they heard the voice but didn't see and in here, the people got so scared of the presence of God that they took off. And this is something that is very clear to us. We as Christians have the presence of God living in us. And how many times have you gone out and you've just talked to somebody 
and they get convicted. Just, and you haven't even talked to them about God, maybe not even. But because God's presence is brought into their presence, and they know that they're evil, they know that they've got problems with God, and they will pull back. I have seen this many times where people will, you know, I've had even, you know, quit, quit talking to me like that. I haven't even said a word, you know. And it's, you know, the presence of God, because we as Christians have God in us, and we bring his presence into everything that we do, which is something we have to also understand when we start thinking about committing sin or sinning. We're bringing the very presence of God into the very things that we do. And this really is important for us to understand. Now, he's always present, obviously. He's everywhere present. But we literally bring his presence in with us because he lives in us. Okay, he lives in us. So when we bring, when we talk to people, when we interact with people, we're bringing God's presence in them. And I've seen people literally get convicted just because you walk in a room. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they're, they're just, they're, they tremble because they're in God's presence. And this is something, and I've said this over and over, I love being in God's presence. There have been times when I have been in worship or even in a very good message that somebody's delivered where I just feel like I've left where I'm at and literally entered into the presence of God. Doesn't happen all the time, doesn't, doesn't even happen most of the time, but there's times when I just feel for even just a few seconds or, or a minute or so I have left and I am in God's presence and this is just like the feeling that heaven's going to be like. And I know it's only a small taste and it's going to be nothing compared to, but if you've ever been there, you know what I'm saying. Where you just feel you're so close to God for just a short time. It doesn't usually last long, but for a short time, maybe seconds, maybe minutes even, that you're just in the presence of God in some special way. Might even happen when you're in real intense prayer with God and you just all of a sudden it's like I've been shifted out of this this reality into the presence of God we bring that kind of presence into people in lives now oftentimes we kind of get familiar with it we don't really really recognize it if we spend a lot of time that way but you got to think back do you remember those times have you ever been there I hope you've been there I hope I'm not talking about something you've never experienced if you haven't I ask you to go ask God to give it to you because it's wonderful prayer is usually where it'll happen or, or a really good worship service when you start forgetting about everybody around you and you start really just thinking about the words you're singing and you start just singing them to God rather than just singing them yeah it's not it's no sorrow it is matter of fact the joy is so great that you start crying and I've been there I've been there where that's happened where tears are coming down and it's not that I'm sad it's not even that I'm distressed it's just overwhelming presence of God pouring out it, it can be overwhelming to the point too sometimes where God you're just here and I you know and you start really realizing I'm just a sinful person God I don't I, I can't handle this and this is how we this is how Daniel's going to respond and we know that Daniel's not that sinful of a person but we're gonna watch how he responds to all of this if you haven't experienced this I really challenge you get to really just spend time with God and and just ask God to let you get so close to him that you'll start to really feel. Once you get there, you'll know this is what I'm going to have to look forward to. I look forward to heaven because if, if the little bits and pieces I have are just a tiny taste of it, and it's nothing compared to what it's really going to be, I just can't wait for it to be the fulfillment. You know, I can't describe what it is. It, is way, it really is beyond description. If you've, if you've been there, you know it. If you're not... 
If you haven't been there, you don't have a clue what we're talking about, I would just say, let God know that you want to draw close to him. And just, you have to live a life, though, that's going to. You confess your sins. You go into deep prayer. You, you start singing in a way that just says, God, I don't care who else is here. I am just, it's just you and me. Which is hard for me to do when I'm leading the singing because I can't just be me and God when I'm leading the singing. So I don't like being the song leader in actuality. It's because you can't just abandon yourself when you're up there having to lead. It's always happened to me when I'm a participant out in the crowd and it's just like, oh, thank you. And sometimes I'll even stop singing because it's just me and God for a few minutes just in close worship. All right, verse 8. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained in me no strength, for my comeliness was turned into, in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. This is his reaction to being brought into the presence of God. Basically, that he became unconscious. Uh, now, there are churches that make a great big deal out of what they call being slain in the spirit. And there are verses that tend to believe that if you come into the presence of God, he can be so overwhelming that you collapse. This one, when Jesus, when they came to arrest Jesus and he said, I am he, and they fell back. Okay. Now, the more we're used to being in God's presence, the less effect that's going to have on us. But believe me, I've been to these places where... He just comes on so strong that you do feel weak when you're in his presence because he is just overwhelming. Because you start realizing, I don't deserve any of this. I'm just a sinner that doesn't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to be in the presence of this much holiness and righteousness. And it is and can be very overwhelming. And in Daniel's case, he collapses. And it says he goes down his face. And this deep sleep literally means he was unconscious. Okay, this is how much and how close God was to him. And we think back in the, on Mount Sinai when the people heard the voice of God, they trembled and feared for the same reason. The holiness of God came upon them and it's like, uh, Moses, we don't, we don't want to deal with this God. We're not, you know, you go, you go talk to him. Uh, we don't even want to, we don't want to hear him. We don't want his presence. And a lot of that for them was their conviction for their unbelief. And they didn't have much of the presence of God because he was up on the top of the mountain talking to them. Here, Daniel has got a person right there in front of him bringing the holiness of God into his presence. And we see this virtually every time an angel is brought up, the people tremble at the holiness that, that is represented. And these are angels. We're not even talking about when Jesus shows up on these occasions out there. Even when the angels come, there's this collapsing. When we see this and then there's this fear of, you know, I'm going to be killed because I, you know, I've always wondered, they, the angels give them this wonderful message. I got, God's got this job for you to do. And the, the first thing they say is, we're going to die. <laughs> you know, uh, Samson's parents did, the you know, father did that. And we're going to die. And his mother very clearly goes, well, why would he tell us we were going to have a son and we're going to raise him if we're going to die? You know, uh, but you also understand if you've ever been in the presence of God, you can also understand this response. I have just been in the righteousness of God, in the presence of God, and that holiness and that perfection, and man, I am just undone. It's just, and so I understand on one side this idea of we're going to die because I just, we're in the presence of something that is just so far beyond us that we can't comprehend how we can survive after that experience. 
And think about the conviction, especially if you don't have your life confessed up to date and all of this other stuff. The conviction of just being in pure holiness is, is strong. And we see Daniel here falling down. Verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright. For unto you am I now sent. And when he had spoken these words, I stood trembling. And he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I am come for your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me and remained there with the kings of Persia. So we're going to stop there for a moment. He was touched, he was awakened. And you look at what he first started doing, he got on his hands and knees. He you know, got on his knees and his palms, palms down. And you've got to think, if you have ever been unconscious, you know, getting back up can be a very shaky experience. And, and if, if you get medical help, they don't want you to stand right back up because they're, you know, so he's, it shows just that kind of thing. He's, he's getting his bearings. He's getting set. And it says that when he stood up, he was trembling and weak. Very, very interesting, I mean, how clear God puts this description of, you know, he could have just said he stood up. And there wouldn't have been anything wrong with it, but he really goes through the very process of standing up in a very slow way because he's been knocked down and unconscious. And it really just goes to show you how detailed God gets. You know, it wouldn't have been anything wrong to say he stood up and was weak. You know, there wouldn't have been anything wrong, but he wants to show us that I'm going to put the details in here so you know that this is what happened. And it says, I love this. He said to me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. This is a description that Daniel keeps having. Even with people, he has this description of he's a beloved person. In many ways, Daniel is a picture of Jesus in all these aspects. He's the one that gives the answers to the kings. He's the one that advises the kings. He's the one that lives a life that being under the microscope of all, the, all of his enemies, they can't find anything wrong with him. You know, and we talked about that back when we were looking at this. Can, can you imagine any of our politicians having their life put under a microscope today and not finding anything worthy of attacking them with? It's, it's hard to believe, and yet they were not, uh, we're not trying to say that these guys were less, you know, less investigative. I'm sure they were just as investigative as any of the people that we have today, but it was just showing the integrity that Daniel lived. He lived a life that was was a man of great integrity. He didn't steal from the government. He didn't lie to people. He didn't, didn't make promises he couldn't keep type things. You know, and they, they could not find. And so Daniel is this picture of Jesus in many ways. And here he is standing in front of this angel. And it says in verse 12, And, the, and he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for the first day that you did, pray, did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I am come with uh, for your words. Okay? So from the very first day he started praying, and we know that that's 20 days because that's what it said earlier, this angel started coming to him. And this is why I'm going to say this is not Jesus. Because who helped this angel get through the angelic forces over Persia was Michael the archangel. Jesus would have needed no help to get to Daniel. You know, Jesus would have just said goodbye you know, and come straight in. The way I looked at it was Jesus 
maybe that could have been. Yeah, he never talks about two, but you're right. Maybe, maybe he saw Jesus, and then the angel is the one that stayed and talked to him. That's adding a lot to the story that's not said, but, I mean, it could be possible. Uh, but, again, if Jesus was with the angel, there would have been no 20-day delay by the, yeah. 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 I won't rule that idea out. I mean, it's never one that I've thought of, but... Uh, because if Jesus was involved, I don't see any delay in his, in his answer to the prayer that this angel talks about. So, and it's Michael who delivers him, not Jesus who delivers him. So, uh, but again, I'm not going to take a hard stance that it absolutely wasn't Jesus. I mean, if you want to bring two people into the story, uh, so I'm not, but the story doesn't talk about two people in any place. So he saw a man, they ran from the man, and then there's a man talking to him. Uh, I, I don't really want to add that to it, but I'm not going to rule it. I'm not going to rule it out that when the angel finally got there, God, you know, he saw a vision of Jesus behind him. As, uh, but it's adding things in there that I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a hard stance on. I would say he saw the angel, and, and uh, that's where I will stand. Uh, but if somebody wants to take that, I'm not going <laughs> to. Again, in most cases, I'm not going to take some really hard stances on something that might possibly could have happened. But I want to take what does say and say, this is what I can tell you for sure. He saw one, and one's talking to him. So I'm going to assume that it was an angel that he saw and the angel that he's talking to. But, uh, and again, you know, there's so many places where one of the first rules you've got to come down to is just because the Bible doesn't say something doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And this is something we have to be careful of because sometimes people go, well, you know, there's no reference anywhere in the Bible of something. That means it never happened. Well, <laughs> The Bible's not big enough to tell us every single thing that happened and every single detail of what happens. Uh, it gives us what we need to know. And so, but here we are, this, and I just love, Daniel, you're beloved. And from the very first day, Daniel, you started praying, I started responding. And, and I love this, and he says, to understand and chasten yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I am come for your words. So this is definitely an angel talking to him at this point. It, if nothing else, this is definitely the angel. Uh, but it's saying before your God, you know, and, I, and I was sent. How many times do we maybe stop praying and asking for God before the answer has a chance to get to us? Now, most of us probably aren't praying for something so strong as Daniel is because Daniel's praying for his nation and God to move with, with his people and, and understand what's going on. Uh, Daniel is a high up, authority, you know, high up authority. He's probably grabbing Satan's attention. You know, and I've said this over and over. We, we will say that, we've been, been, that we're struggling against Satan, but never, nobody in our, in our church, in our town, is probably struggling with Satan. <laughs> Most of us probably aren't even dealing with the, the prince of the, the country. Okay, and this is what we're going to look at in just a moment. There's hierarchies in heaven and the angelic forces and in the demonic forces. And this is what we see here in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. And lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. This gives us a picture of the, the angelic and spiritual realm. There are, just as any military and hierarchy goes, the angelic forces very obviously have a hierarchy and forces. Um, in Ephesians, 
chapter 6, verse 12. It's in the armor of God, and it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It gives us at least four levels of angelic or demonic powers. Okay, for us, Ephesians 6.12. For us, we would think of it, you know, you've got your generals and you've got your colonels, you've got your captains and lieutenants and sergeants, and then you go down all the way down to the, the privates. Okay, in the day-to-day battle would be your lowest level people, and then you work your way up, you know, the more important the target, the higher level commander you would have in charge of the battle. And here's what Daniel's saying. In this particular case, he's dealing with the, the angelic forces or the spiritual forces that were over the entire country. And this is why I say this tells us a, a little bit about it. He's talking about a power that's over nations, which tells us by comparison that there are probably angelic forces that, and satanic forces that are over nations, that their job is to make sure a nation doesn't turn to God if they can at all possibly do it, and they're going to have levels of people underneath them. And we see this over and over, and I bring this out because we've talked a lot about this. There's spiritual warfare, and we've got to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. The more we do for God, the more resistance we're going to get from the enemy, and the more we're being used by God and, and, and directed by God, we will stop getting a private taken care of us and move our way up to a corporal or a sergeant. Most of us probably will never get to a principality against us, but you understand the logic on this. You know, it's, most of us are never going to get Satan's personal attention to it because remember, he is not omnipresent. He is a created being who can only be in one place at a time. Now, he has lots of angels at his disposal to report to him and, and is very wise and he probably moves in the spiritual realm very fast. So to, in our opinion, he might seem to be in many places at one time, but he can still only be at one place at any one time and he is not God's equal. And this is something I've brought out many times. Satan is not God's opposite. He is a created being who is on a leash that God says you can do this much and nothing else. Okay, he has, he cannot do what he wants. He's not God's equal. He cannot, he'll never be able to defeat God because all God had to do was unthink him and he would be out of existence. You know, oh, I don't think I want you anymore and he'd be gone completely. Uh, but, you know, so we want to understand the angelic forces against this, the demonic forces are not equal to God, but they are strong. They're stronger than we are. He's been around a lot longer than we are because, so he's very intelligent. He's very smart. He's, you know, trying to match wits against the demonic world is not going to work. But they are still subject to God. And the really good news to remember, Satan only took one-third of the angels. There's two angels to every one demonic force. Okay? They're outnumbered. All right? So we don't have to worry about that even. Nothing will happen to us that God does not allow to happen. And it's very important for us to keep that in mind always. Now, obviously, they were stronger because this particular angel, which were... Does this one say that he was Gabriel? No. Uh, probably Gabriel, but, you know, it's a messenger angel, and it took Michael, the archangel, to, to, to clear the path for him. 
And if you, in Jude, it was Michael who went up against uh, Lucifer for the body of Christ, according, you know, in that, in, in that book. And even there, he says, the Lord rebuke you. I mean, in that particular case, he was going against his previous superior. So it's, we, we see all of this stuff, and we see the demonic and the spiritual battle. And we want to be aware there's a spiritual battle going around us always. Every time we start to do something good, there's going to be opposition unless God prevents the opposition. And we see this every time you start to do something. You know, you start to do something for God, and it seems like everything just goes crazy. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, you know, things start going wrong, and you go, God, and it puts us into prayer. It puts us into time with God and says, God, this is yours. You, if we're going to do it and, and make it happen, you need to be part of this to help us get through this. And we keep this in mind. We're in a battle. This world is not our home. And if we ever get comfortable with it, this world being our home, we've got a problem. We're not being close to God because this world will never be our home. We are pilgrims in this world headed toward our real home. And I'm looking forward to going to my real home you know, whenever God's ready for me to do it. I don't, and I've said that over and over. And this is where we have to be very careful when we share this. I mean, heaven is so great that we want to be careful that we don't say, well, I just want to hurry up and get there. You know, I want to get there when God wants me to be there. As long, and, I'm, and I've agreed with Paul, as long as I can share and teach people and, and help them grow, I want to be here as long as I'm needed to help people continue to serve God. But as soon as I'm not needed anymore on this world, I want to be like Paul. I want to go, take me home. Because home is where I want to be. I am never happy. And I'm not, not that I'm sad about this world. I'm, I'm very content with what God's given me. But it's not, there's always the longing. It's always the longing. I want more God. I want more of his presence. I want more of the perfection that he's going to give. And we always need to remember we are in. But here again, we're in a battle. We need to be prepared. Because the moment we forget we're in a battle is when we're going to be hurt spiritually. It's true in real battle. The moment a soldier or forgets that they're in a battle and they stick their head up out of their foxhole in the middle of the battle and get it, get it shot off or you know, they just take and relax for a few minutes and the enemy comes upon them. We in our spiritual battle need to keep in mind we are in a battle. We are in a battle and if we let our guard down, we have the spiritual world that wants to take us, but we also have our own problems. Being that we are sinners, we also have our own problems that will lead us to making bad decisions if we forget that we're in a, in, in a spiritual warfare. And so it's very important to keep in mind, God, you're in control. We're in a battle. Keep close to me. <laughs> Lead me. Guide me. And you know, the amazing thing about it is God speaks with a still, small voice. How many times do we have to just calm ourselves down and refocus our life to be able to hear God? Because God is not going to yell over the clamor of our life. He, he speaks silently. He speaks with a quiet voice. And we have to listen for his voice. And I think he wants us to do that on purpose, that we will slow down. Because if you're anything like me, I like to go full force and just attack something. And sometimes I just have to slow down and say, God, what is it you want me to do? I've got all these ideas, but what do you want? And just have to slow down and say, and listen. Verse 14, now I've come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words to me, I set my face on the ground and I became dumb. 
whatever he was told basically shocked him, put him on his face again, and he had nothing to speak. And it says many days, so it kind of makes it look like he's talking about our end days here, and which he's already seen a couple of times, but you know, one more time, Dan. Can you imagine this? Daniel keeps getting shown the future. Can, uh, I can't even imagine what, what he saw, or even, even if he saw this world, you know, think about John seeing this, what's going on in this world. Uh, see planes, helicopters, cars, you know, and you're used to horses. You know, the fastest thing you know of is a, is a chariot, and you see these things rumbling around faster than any chariot can go. I can't imagine, I don't know how much detail God showed them on these things, but I can't imagine what it would look like uh, from their perspective. Buildings that just, they can't even imagine building buildings as tall as they are. I mean, you know, they're, they're thinking a 30-foot tower is a huge structure, and they, and they get to see skyscrapers. <laughs> Uh, I just, what he saw, I, I kind of think about, what did he see? How did he see this? Even if he just saw the violence of our age without seeing all the, the scientific advancement, just the violence of our age to him would have been a shock. So we look at this, and it doesn't know, it just, he became silent. He had nothing to say. And, you know, he, and he went down on his face. You know, he's already weak with standing. He's already been in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, whatever it is, and it doesn't tell us what he heard, brings him to his knees again. And he's, he doesn't even have words. He has nothing he can say. And in verse 16, And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips, and then opened my mouth, and spake, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, my vision and my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with his with this my Lord, for as for me straightway there remain no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. This one might be a presence of Jesus all of a sudden showing up because of the way he talked to him and calling him my Lord and being touched. And again, I'm not going to make it hard. I'm not going to make it hard because it's still just talking about one, one person and the, angel, and the angelic force. You know, we see this being used in their language. Because he's not quite worshiping him, but he is definitely recognizing this is somebody more powerful than me. And, but he is very much, he says, you know, he knows he's feeble. He knows that he has nothing there. Uh, he's in the presence of, ma of a majestic being. And it says in, in verse 18, Then again came and touched me, one like the appearance of man, and he strengthened me. Okay, so he's being strengthened. The, the angel strengthens him. In this and this happens frequently when they fall down and, and you know come down they say arise and be strong uh, fear not Mary was told when they, when Gabriel came you know fear not and and you picture the strengthening of the words uh, Samson's mom was doing the same thing you know fear not and uh, we see this over and over when they see angels you know don't fear stand up you know we're, we're, we're here we're giving you strength and just you think about this. How many times have you heard God's word when you didn't have strength? And it strengthens you to do whatever it is, you're, whatever you're supposed to do. This is one of the reasons why when we're in a hard place, we need to bow down in prayer. We need to worship him in song. We need to get into the word of God. We need to bring ourselves into the presence of God and allow him to strengthen us. In Psalm 23, he says, you set my table in the presence of my enemy. You lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. 
know, he is the strengthening that I get. And God wants to do that. When we are at our weakest point, we turn to him. And I've shared with this many times. When I was working in the restaurants, there were many times when everything was going really bad and hard that I would just, I would have to break away for even three or four minutes, even if it meant going to the walk-in to go grab something, to refill something, even if it didn't need it. I would go in and I would just refocus with a quick prayer or if I took the trash out, just a quick worship song and say, God, I want to focus on you. Just calm, calm my spirit down. And this is what it means to slow down and just say, God, I want to meditate on the word that I read this morning. I want to meditate on, on you for just a few minutes. I want you to guide and lead. And the longer we can do it, the better. But even if it's just a quick prayer and say, God, Things are getting very chaotic. I need you to come and just step into this situation. And, he's, and he'll come in. When we desire him, he'll come in. How many times you know, do we try to struggle and fight and work our way through something and get beat up and wish, you know, and what is it usually we say? I've tried everything else. I'll, I'll, I'll turn to God. I'll pray. We need to get to the place where it's, it is the last thing we do, but it's also the first thing we do. <laughs> Okay, God, I need your help. This situation is just getting to be very hard. God, I need help. And you know what? He is ready to help. When we sit back and say, God, I can't do this. But so often we think that somehow we're strong enough to go through our problems and we don't want to humble ourselves before God. And I even talked, I was witnessing to one, some, one person goes one time and he goes, well, I believe everything, but I am not going to humble myself to nobody. I'm going, you won't even humble yourself to the God of the universe? Nope, not going to humble myself to nobody. And I'm going, that is sad. I'm going, that is sad. I can't believe that you won't humble yourself to the God of the universe. For whatever, whatever you're afraid of, he loves you and wants to care for you. He's not going to hurt you. Um, but how often do we still do that ourselves in many cases? You know, we may not be so blunt that I'm not going to humble myself, but God, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And sometimes, sometimes is that we think, God, this is just too small a problem to take to God. And I've said over and over, what problem that we're going to have is going to be big to God? Okay? God created the universe, runs the entire universe, and we think we, might, we have to wait till we have a problem that's too big, so big that God has to handle it. God, you know, if God really wanted to, he could laugh at us. You, you know, even the biggest thing that we could possibly think of happening in our life, God could laugh at us and say, you're, you're coming to me with something that simple, and that's not the way he is. He says, Give, cast your burdens upon me. Take my yoke upon you. I want all of your burdens. I want all of your cares, and I want to lead you through them. And how many times when we try to do it ourselves, do we get ourselves into a bigger mess even when we think we know all the answers and we get done with it and like, wow, what, you know, now I've got a bigger mess. You know? And we finally get to the place where we just give up and say, God, I need your help you know, because we, get, we keep making a mess of things. And I've said this over and over. If I want to make a mess of things, all I can do is do things my way. It, always, it never fails. If I do it my way, I make a bigger mess out of it until I finally turn, my, turn it over to God. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not there yet. I don't automatically turn everything over to God, but I, I'm, I'm getting better at it every year. Every year that I'm following him, I'm better at turning things over to him sooner. 
and I'm not taking as long to learn lessons because I'm going, okay, God, you're trying to teach me something. I'm starting to recognize that he's trying to teach me something before six years have gone by. You know, I used to be a very stubborn person. You know, it took God a long time to get my attention. You know, so now I'm much shorter time on, on letting him get my attention and saying, God, I don't need years to get, your, get my attention anymore. God, what do you want me to learn? And I don't know that I'll ever get to the place where I give it to him right away. It would be nice, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. But he wants us to say, here's my problems, God. I just want to learn to listen and be calm. I think of a, Elijah when the, when the army circles his house and his servant goes, you know, hey, we're circled. They're, the enemy's coming to get us. And God says, open his eyes, let him see that those that are with us are more than them. And then he sees the angel, angelic forces circling, encircling the army and says, oh, we don't have any problems. To be like Elijah and Elisha and be able to see what God's doing around us at all times would be such a wonderful place. And maybe he'll let some of us get there. I don't know. But I do know that God's there. And those that are with us are really more than those that are against us, always. And that's why I brought up, you know, the angelic forces. There's two angels to every one demon. So we don't have to worry. They can't, be, they can't totally be overcome. The sad thing is, sometimes God lets the demons get in. Uh, and our story of Job was a great example of that, where God says, okay, let, let him in for a little while and, and challenge him. But here we are, he says, he bowed down, he turned it, he said he had no strength. Verse 18, and there came again and touched me one that had the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace unto you, be strong. Yea, be strong. And when, I heard, when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for, I, for you have strengthened me. Again, just the idea that God strength. I love to get into God's word and, and walk away with my mind clear, my, my spirit strengthened, ready to take on the world for at least a little while. <laughs> Getting into worship and, and being ready to take on the world. In my car, I've always got either the Christian radio on or my thumb drive with nothing but Christian music on the, on the thumb drive that goes into the, into the machine, you know. Why? Because I need that refreshing. I need that strength. I listen to so many sermons each day and so much biblical material because I need it. And I know if I need it, everybody else needs it. And my encouragement is let's spend as much time with God as we possibly can. I love the biographies. I love listening to these stories of how God has ministered to people. I love reading the Christian biographies of missionaries because it is so important because it gives us faith. The Bible gives us faith because we see what God did thousands of years ago to people. And when we read the biographies of people over the last couple hundred years, we go, okay, these are wonderful. God still is doing the same thing. But you know what's really great? Is when we share our testimonies with one another about what God is doing for us today. That tells people he did it a long time ago. He did it recent, recent history, but he's still doing it today. And that's why it's important for us. You know, we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that he doesn't change. But it really does help us when we hear somebody say, you know what, God gave me, you know, I was having this bill and it had to be paid and I... And this person gave me a job and it was just enough to pay for the bill or the, or the check came in the mail and it was just enough to pay this bill or whatever it might be that came in and it was just enough. And we share that with people and we build up their faith because it's like, oh, 
I know somebody. It's not just reading somebody's history that maybe they made it up, maybe they didn't. It's not just thousands of years ago that God did this, but we know this person. I know this person personally who's telling me this story. Build strength. And it goes, well, if God is going to do it for them, he'll, he'll do it for me. And this is how we should come away from these stories and in the Bible, from the from biographies, and I really want to encourage you, you know, get some of these biographies of people and read these biographies. Read the biographies of the missionaries. Read the, the information from the early church fathers. Read, read the stories, you know. But here you see him strengthen him, and then verse 20, and he said, Know you, wherefore I come unto you, and now I will return and fight the prince of Persia. And when I am gone, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come, but I will show you that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holds with me in these things but Michael, your prince. So he's saying, after I'm leaving, the prince of Greece is coming, and we know that that was historically the, the one that took over the Medo-Persian Empire was the Greeks. So the, the principality over Greece was coming. Now Daniel didn't get to have to deal with him. He's long gone by that time. But he says there's always going to be these problems. Your people are going to deal with these other, other princes. And, and we see, and this is why we kind of see there's different princes. There's a demonic authority over each of these empires, which kind of tells us that probably every major empire or country has a demon that's directly in charge of them. And that would also tell us that there's a angelic principality <laughs> that opposes that particular one and so God has got all these things going on and this like I said this this chapter is mostly a great picture of spiritual warfare and what is out there and to help us get a picture for it there's a lot going on around us and Paul talks about it being an angelic you know being in a spiritual battle he says put on your the whole armor put on Christ be in Christ all all through Psalms it says hide in God hide he's your strong fortress he's your refuge He's your protection. We need to understand that we are hidden in Christ and we are not going to be touched unless God allows it. And it's very important for us to understand all of that. We're to hide in him. We're to take refuge in him. God wants us to be fully dependent upon him, hiding in him. And it's all through the scriptures. It's not just a New Testament teaching. It's an Old Testament teaching that be in Christ. He's your strong tower. He's your fortress. The righteous run, you know, God is a strong fortress tower and the righteous run into him and they are, they are safe. And, you know, we... So if something bad happens to you and you're in Christ, that means he gives you, teaching you something or something that you If you're not doing something in your life that deserves punishment, then it is God either trying to teach you something or put you on display in, in the angelic realm. Job himself had to learn that God didn't just bless you because you were righteous and that bad things happened even to righteous people because he agreed with his, his friends or many people believe that they were the ones he had taught. They were in the generation that he had taught and telling him all these things because his answers were always, yes, I know what you're saying is true, but I didn't deserve this. He believed this whole idea of the prosperity gospel, which is what we'd call it today, if you honor God, you get blessed and you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And Job believed that. So God was also showing Job, you're only getting this stuff because I'm blessing you. Not because you deserve it, not because you're good, but because I have given you gracious gifts. It is the level of when things happen to us, God is trying to teach us. He's not going to let something bad happen to us just 
just capriciously. He's going to teach us from that what happens. In Job's case, I think God was saying, okay, you're doing fine. You're a good man. Because he said he was a perfect man and righteous in all his ways and hated evil. But God was working on his theology. And this is one of the things we have to be careful of. God is usually trying to work, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? And he's going to say, do you really believe what it is that you believe? And that's always what he's going to do. Do you really believe? And if you believe wrong, he may be trying to correct your false beliefs. And I've shared this over and over. There's many things that all of us, every one of us believe that aren't biblical. Because we were taught something when we were in Sunday school at a young age, or we were taught something when we first got saved, and it got stuck there without us ever really thinking about it. And this is one of the reasons I'm very picky about who will teach children. Because if you teach children the wrong information, they're going to believe it because they're not old enough to be able to go back in and research the Bible to see what does the Bible say. Sometimes God is just going to go in and say, I just want to prove that this thing that you believe is not right. Not that you're wrong, not, you know, not that you're being bad, but I just want you to see. And I believe that's what he was doing to Job. Job, you, you, believe, that, you, know, you believe that your people deserve to be given things just because. And he's going, I just want to show you that it's my grace. And we see this, in, you know, it's all in poetic language, so it's hard sometimes to see the Job's answers. But he's always saying, yes, you're right, but <laughs> we can do the same thing in our life. Where we know the truth, but submerged beneath it is a belief that's not correct. And this is kind of the prosperity gospel type thing. They'll, they'll teach you that if you're honoring God and you're worshiping God, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise type. Like, but they'll also say, well, bad things can't happen to you. Okay? And those two don't really mesh together. Yes, I believe the one, but yet I don't. Many times where God is going to work those details in our life. And it could be some things. I know, I know that there's people who believe that once you're saved, you're supposed to be perfect. They know that you're not, but you're supposed to be. And because God is the one who gave you all the strength, you should be perfect and you have the power to be. And this is where it becomes problematic. You have the power to be perfect. Because if you really have Christ in you, you should be perfect. Okay, But they'll admit that you can't be perfect. But they hold these opposite views at the same time. And we, we all have those areas where we kind of... If we really looked at what we believe and we go, hold it, this, this, and no, they don't match. I go, okay, God, which one's true? And we have to be careful about this. You know, yes, we're supposed to be perfect. You know, yes, we're supposed to be sanctified. But we on this life are not going to be perfect and can't be perfect. And the problem that we have when we say we can be, we start judging others who aren't because we start using where we think we're perfect as our, our starting point. And we kind of start ignoring the places where we're not perfect. We start becoming very judgmental of others who aren't as advanced in those areas that we have advanced in. But again, there's all of these problems that we have. And we have to really, and this is why Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. We need to look at what we, what we know and what we think we know. Because we want to be so careful because sometimes what we think we know, number one, is such a microscopic part of it. And I've shared with you all many times the more I study, the more I realize I don't know anything about what I know. And I know more than most people know about a lot of these topics. And I still, every time I get into, get into these topics, realize I don't know anything. You know, and God keeps adding more knowledge on it. And it's like, wow, God, you know, how deep does this go? Well, we serve an infinite God who knows everything. And if we ever think we can know everything, then we would be God and we can't be God. So we'll never know everything God knows about anything. 
And even when we're in heaven, we won't know everything that God knows about anything because he will be God there too. And this is one of the reasons I believe we will be learning forever. And if somehow God ever runs out of things to teach us, he'll just create some more stuff to teach us, but he's not going to run out of things to teach us, even in eternity. The greatness of what I, what, what I keep saying about God, whatever we think we know about God, we're too small. You know, how big you think God is, multiply it by infinity. How strong do you think God is? Multiply it by an infinite amount and you'll get him. How knowledgeable he is? Multiply. I mean, no matter how you want to pic picture this, multiply whatever you think about God because you're too small. And I don't care how big you think he is or how strong you think he is or how knowledgeable you think he is, you're still too small because that's what he's revealed to me over the years. And God keeps big, getting bigger and stronger and, and more knowledgeable to me the more I study and get to know him. And I still know that I'm too small. And my challenge for us is get to know him. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you are bigger than anything we can imagine, that you are stronger, but that you also care for us in such a magnificent way. And that is just so hard to understand that how somebody as grand and great as you are would even care for us who are just so insignificant. But we thank you for that. We thank you for your love. We ask you to go with us as we go out today and share the gospel and, and share with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.